Hello and welcome to the award-winning Pod Pod. I'm Rihanna Dillon and I'm joined this week by Reem Makari, award-winning Reem Makari, Pod Pod journalist and researcher, <laughs> and award-winning Adam Shepherd, editor of Pod Pod. Hi guys. Hello. Hello. Hi. Did I mention? Yes. We won an award. <laughs> 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 Once or twice. <laughs> yeah, we picked up uh, Best Podcast Launch 2023 at the Publisher Podcast Awards Ooh. last week. And I have to say, I'm I'm still getting over it, oh, I think. Amazing. How was this ceremony, Reem? It was extremely unexpected. Like, I don't think any of us were sitting there expecting to win Best Podcast Launch, especially since they introduced the category saying that it was their most competitive and that they had, oh, wow. I think, around like 40 entries. And I forgot how many were in the shortlist. Yeah. And we were against like some big names, like how to be a CEO. Mm-hmm. And we just like, so we're like, yeah, we're not, we're not really winning. I mean, we're attending, we're having fun, but we're not winning. And then they, they said something <laughs> about how they enjoyed the new section in the beginning and we're like that's not us because i'm like i don't know if we count this intro as news <laughs> um, oh yeah um, but but um, but yeah so they mentioned that and then they called out pop pod and it was just like pure <laughs> joy and, <laughs> and no tears but internal tears <laughs> oh that's amazing well you guys have done an incredible job with the launch so congratulations you've done an amazing job as have you Rihanna we could not have done it without you and indeed without Emma mm-hmm. I'll be really producer who is silently also on the line <laughs> <laughs> the thing that it really kind of emphasized for me though is the value that winning an award can have for podcasters. I mean, obviously, through things like the BPAs, I'm familiar with all of the advantages that it can have on paper in terms of you know opening new doors and helping uh, progress conversations, whether that's commercial conversations with guests, that kind of thing. But it's all been a bit theoretical up until up until now. Now that we've actually won an award, I'm finding it a lot easier to contextualize those benefits. Like for example, you know, we have started rolling it into our media decks that we use to pitch the brand to clients. I am going to be adding it to my Twitter and and LinkedIn profiles very, very shortly. I bet you are, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) And it's sort of, for things like the BPAs, I think it really emphasizes the kind of difference it can make, not just to, you know, boosting morale and, you know, getting that lovely feeling of validation, but also on a practical level, it can be really beneficial. Mm. I was part of the award-winning Radio Times podcast and we won for sort of like best newcomer or something like that, which was amazing. But then of course they, because I think the Radio Times wanted us to be doing much better in terms of numbers than we perhaps were, they sort of shut us down just after we'd won the award, which was such a shame. So we never got to sort of like reap the benefits of being an award-winning new podcast and to see where that might have taken us next. So fingers crossed that doesn't happen with Pod Pod. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just, uh, yeah, be, like you say, it'd be really interesting the actual impact and how much of it is actually just, yay, we won an award, or if people take it much more seriously or more likely to say yes to things 
due to that being a banner? I don't know. Reem, what do you reckon? Mm. I think having an award title certainly gives a lot to to a brand and it ma- might make it more legitimate in front of other businesses or whatever people who want to invest in it. But also I think it's it's what's more important is the audience that they have and how dedicated their audience is. And even if they're mm-hmm. not award winning, but they have like a small little niche support group that's willing to pay them, you know, two, three pounds a month so that they can keep yeah. their project going. I think that's a lot more important in terms of like what they've achieved than just getting a title. Mm-hmm. Although having an the award winning title is very nice. Yeah. And- and that's something that we discuss a fair amount in the new mini series that we've got coming out this week, How to Win a British Podcast Award, which I recorded with Matt Hill and Matt Deegan, co-founders of the British Podcast Awards. And that leads us really nicely, actually, onto our interview this week, which was with Tangia Alawaji Estrada, who is the co-founder of BIPOC Podcast Creators. So this is one of the kind of handful of times that we've had somebody on who is not just talking about a specific podcast, but this is a Black and Latinx women-owned organisation, BIPOC Podcast Creators, which was founded only a couple of years ago with the purpose of connecting creators of colour with networking and learning opportunities. So we're kind of talking about diversity and representation in podcasting and specifically what are the barriers that people of colour face in podcasting and breaking that down. So here is Tangia Alawaji Estrada. Tangia, welcome to PodPod. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. How are you all? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. I want to start by talking about BIPOC podcast creators. When did this become an established thing and what did you want to initially achieve when you first set out to create it? So my business partner and I, Maribel Quezada-Smith, initially set out to simply just make a free Facebook group where she and I as creators and professionals in the podcasting space could build a little bit more of a network, feel a little more supported. It can feel very isolating as a podcaster. And uh, we had been part of this other group that at the time decided to leave Facebook. So we sort of felt like we were kind of left without this community. You know, we had been friends. We had met at a podcast movement, actually, Podcast Movement Orlando in 2019. And it was not too long after that, that um, we felt this gap and wanted to just build a little bit more community around ourselves. So we started a Facebook group and we called it BIPOC Podcast Creators because we wanted to create a space for creators like us that could feel like they had a place to go on the web that, you know, just was welcoming and they could be who they are and say what they want to say and talk about the issues that they wanted to talk about and not feel so isolated. And we told ourselves, you know, it would be really great if like in a year it grew to around couple hundred people. And that would be like a really dynamic community. Maybe it would grow a little bit more. And I think within about the first two weeks of starting the group, we had more than 200 people. Mm -hmm. And very soon after that, the creators in the community started to ask for things. They were saying, well, we want 
organized networking events. That's what we're here for. We want to be able to network more and build our networks and meet more people and know what's going on out there in the industry of podcasting. So we said, okay, so we started a newsletter. And so every month we would do this newsletter. It's called What's Poppin' in Podcasting. And it's like, here's all of the things that are happening in podcasting space from the perspective of other creators of color like yourself that we think that you should know about. And the community was like, great, we love the newsletter. We need like more events. We need support and training. We need to understand this. We need to understand that. So after about six months of doing that, we were like, this is an actual business because Mm -hmm. it requires as much time as an actual business. So let's just do that. So we incorporated it and then it just started to grow from there. And so we started creating, you know, a calendar of organized events happening throughout the year, figured out, you know, what are we trying to do with this thing? And then, you know, so here we are now in 2023 with this full blown, what we've, we've evolved into from a Facebook group into a online networking community for creators and a consulting firm where we work with mostly media organizations and companies to deepen their engagement. So audience engagement work and particularly multicultural audience engagement as well. So we work on, on both sides of the engagement piece. And still growing every day, still bringing more and more creators into the space, working with more and more companies. I think right now we're we're approaching 1,500 member creators in the community, and they're very clear about what they want. They want to be able to grow into podcasting. So we're, we like to say, you know, we believe that the the future of podcasting is multicultural. Mm. So we're here to make sure that that space exists within podcasting and that everybody has an opportunity to reach that next level of their podcasting career, whatever that looks like. Because our creators are not just indie creators. We have quite a few indie creators who are making their own shows. Um, But we have folks in the community that work on the ad side, that work within podcast companies, large and small. Some are executives. Some are freelancers that have services that serve other podcasters. And so there's everybody from design to HR people working in in the podcast space. And so we're here to support them on the community side and, and making sure there's a pipeline of talent that's being developed across the industry so that they can realize their full potential in podcasting, whatever that looks like to them. I think I heard you both on the That's What She Did podcast talking about the reasons behind kind of everything you've just mentioned, but also I was really struck, you kind of, at the very beginning of this, you mentioned gaps that people weren't getting what they needed. So do you have examples of the kind of things that you weren't being served by with other Facebook groups or other networking events that weren't necessarily geared towards people of colour? So let's just talk networking stuff to begin with, right? So it was a networking event that Maribel and I met at at podcast movement. And we were very excited. You know, we didn't know each other. We were independently very excited because here we are. We were at, I think it was Muddy Bell's first podcast movement. It was definitely mine. And we were really excited to learn that there was this people of color networking event (laughs) happening. And we were like, yes. Um, So we both show up to that. That was where we met. And while we were excited that that programming was available to us, it was 
maybe not the most thoughtful in the way that it was planned out. <laughs> there was like this room in the back of the conference space that was literally a small room in a in a corner. And so like all of us, like every single person of color that was at the conference, I think went to that networking event and we were stuffed in there shoulders to shoulder like sardines in a can. <laughs> and we were like, this is not a good look. Oh, God. <laughs> like, literally just put them in the corner, right? I'm sure it wasn't intentional. It, there was nothing malicious about it, but the optics were mm. not great and it didn't feel great. And things like that are pretty common across the space. I realize that networking is really challenging because everybody is so dispersed around the globe. But when people come together for events like that, there tends to be, and we hear this all the time, this glaring lack of inclusivity in the space. And that happens a lot because people aren't thinking about it. Who's Whoever's organizing it isn't thinking about like who's in the space that we should actually invite to make sure we have a representation of an accurate sampling of creators in the space. That's often an afterthought or not a thought at all. And it shows. And there have been many, many times when creators say, I went to this event and this is what happened to me. It's happened to me. <laughs> there are many times that I'll, I'll show up in a space, you know, to be there for podcasting. And people will say the most asinine things to me that they don't realize sometimes that it's either blatantly racist or misogynist or just making it clear that you don't belong in this space in some way. And that happens with regularity. And you you would think now in 2023 that people would be a little more aware of the world that they live in, that we don't live in a monolithic world. Everybody isn't the same. <laughs> and no matter where I go, as much as some people want to pretend that everybody is just like them, it's not. There's that piece where we know that this happens all the time. So we are working to create a space where, first of all, they can be in our events, in our group, and that's not going to happen to them. But also trying to speak on these issues so that there's an awareness across the space that, hey, you need to be doing better for the people that you claim to be serving here because everybody that you serve isn't just like you. And you need to expand your skill set around that. The thing about podcasting is it's still very young. And there's still very much an opportunity to make it a space that more than one type of person can thrive in. And so that's what we're working on. I mean, there's multiple ways, right? So there's so the, the, the space where you're creating something that is welcoming to the folks in the real world that are different than everybody else that are going to be in the space. There's also questions of access that as creators of BIPOC podcast creators, we have experienced ourselves and we hear from our community. And I think this is true for indie creators in general, somebody that doesn't come from a background of audio or even television or the media entering into podcasting space and wanting to build a career of some kind, whether it be on the indie creator side or working with a company and just having no access to anybody to help make that happen. And it's really important to build a network of people that understand the space, that work within the space, that can help 
help you make connections that can help you understand, you know, what might be the next step for you. And we have found that to be particularly true for creators of color because they often didn't come from any type of audio background. If they did, they were often in the minority of whatever company they were with, right? And so the problem just compounds as they come into a new space and wanting to build a career and not having the access. So we we try to build in access into the programming that we create for our folks. So like we have, for an example, we have a masterclass going on right now around audience growth and it's experts teaching classes. We pay our teachers, by the way, our instructors to come in and teach them like this is how you really build this business in this space and have it be successful and this is what it looks like and we work really hard to bring in an instructor that is going to yes have the expertise to teach them something that's not like this is how you start a podcast this is how you get your first thousand downloads you know they're teaching like this is how you really build this is what it actually looks like. And here's the tools that I use. And this is what I've learned, those kinds of things. But the, the second most important thing is that we're creating access for those creators to meet somebody, be in a room with them, whether it's virtually like this or in person and and get to know them and ask them the questions that they need to ask and say, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. This is my situation. How do I get from here to there? And that's been some of the best feedback that we've had is, yes, the programming is great. We I learned so, so, so much. But the thing that I will cherish going forward is that relationship that I was able to create with that person who has said to me, I'm going to help you or, you know, I'll give you 20 minutes. And so we're trying to find ways to create that access. We, you know, we're also, we try to support freelancers in the space. We created a verified service provider directory for creators of color who run small businesses. So if you are a graphic designer, if you're an editor, a sound engineer, you know, they have the same issues with visibility and connectivity. It's really tough, um, especially when you are going up against fake spurts in the space who are, you know, telling (laughs) creators that they can get them a top 10 show, whatever that's supposed to mean (laughs) in like, you know, 60 days or whatever. That's a thing. Oh, that's a thing. It's a big thing. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You know, so we wanted to create something that allowed these small businesses to be more easily findable for anybody that's looking for that support. So we created a a verified service provider directory where somebody could go to our website, they can click on the directory, they can put in what they're looking for, and they can trust that they're going to find somebody on that directory who is actually has the experience to do what they say they're going to do. And they know that they're able to do that work and do it well, because we've done some front end vetting. We've said, hey, this person is a legitimate business. We checked. They're not like some weirdo on the internet <laughs> that's <laughs> trying to steal your money. <laughs> legit. So dark. You know, so there's a variety of ways that we're trying to fill those little gaps. And what we find is that they're sort of like ladder rungs. You can climb up so far, but there might be a a rung missing. And if you can't reach that next rung, you just like, you just need like one little step, one little rung. And so we're trying to create those rungs across the industry for the creators on the creator side, on the community. And then on the consulting side, 
we are kind of doing the same thing. If we, if you think of the the latter analogy, is we see lots of companies who want to reach an audience and build really great audience engagement, especially if they are working on something where they want to ensure that they have a more diverse, multicultural audience. If they don't have experience in doing that, we help them fill in those missing rungs to make sure that they're getting to that audience that they're looking for. And that can be anything like, you know, we're working with a company right now that's launching a new show. We're relaunching a new show. You know, in their initial runs, they were like, we didn't get the audience that we thought we were going to get. And so we're going, okay, we're going to, we do that analysis and we figure out why and we help them fill those little gaps. And sometimes it's a company that is, you know, it could even be like a podcast movement. We worked with them um, one time where they said, we realize we don't have as diverse speakers on our stages as we set out. We realize that that's an issue because we're trying to create a conference that serves the entire podcasting industry. So we need to have speakers that reflect that entire podcast industry. And we said, great. So we sat down with them. We came up with a plan to help them bring in more qualified, really great dynamic speakers who also happen to be folks of color Mm. and women. And that worked out really well. And so they have much more diverse sampling of, of really qualified speakers to be able to fill their stages with. With those companies that you're working in and the ones that might reach out for help about attracting more diverse audiences, how do you feel about companies that only try and reach out uh, during specific months? Like, for example, if they're only reaching out during Black History Month or South Asian Heritage Month, and that's the only time they'd want to work with you to create more diverse opportunities and how do you kind of guide these companies to not act performative or to just be inclusive with their strategy all year round how do you guide them to do that well for the most part the so we this is (laughs) this this question makes me laugh because it happens so much right (laughs) we find a couple of things The companies that only reach out during Black History Month or Women's History Month or whatever the thing may be, Mm. they're pretty easy to sniff out if they're not being sincere. If it's really just about that, within a couple of emails, we know, usually within the first email exchange, we can tell. (laughs) And we just start, you know, we try to be just very upfront with them. Of course, in, you know, not harsh, but up front and say, you let them know that, you know, we don't do work and we don't engage on work that is only meant to happen during whatever the month is that they're reaching out. That we only are interested in creating relationships with companies that have a commitment to serving a multicultural, diverse industry. And as soon as you say that, if they're not about it, you're not going to hear from them again. So it's pretty easy. For the other ones that are sincere and, and they often just don't know what the way forward is, then we, we just engage in that conversation, right? So we sit down with them if they have chosen to engage our services and we do an analysis and say, all right, here, here's what we see. You know, we we sit with them, we try to understand where they're trying to go and why this matters to them so much. And then we just 
we just start digging into their stuff. We look at their audience. What what are they doing now? We look at their content. We look at all of those things. And even without knowing what their goals are, we can very quickly assess where the gaps are and what needs to change because we know what we're looking for. So it's it's not too difficult. And they and those those are the ones that they're they're reaching out to us for the right reason. So it's a much easier conversation. In terms of the people, the actual podcasters, I've kind of I've heard about the mentality of sort of scarcity of feeling like you absolutely have to hold on to every opportunity to everything that comes your way and that you can't really share that because someone might encroach on your territory because there are so few opportunities so how do you try and change the mentality of that you know kind of encouraging people to collaborate rather than compete well i think the community itself is is really helpful with that Creators come into our space, they're self-selecting to be in the communities. We're not going out and, you know, trying to drag folks to join. They they have to self-select. <laughs> and so, you know, they've already indicated that they want to be there, that they want to be part of a community. Mm-hmm. And by being part of a community, it's pretty, you know, it's implied, it's pretty clear that there's going to be some kind of collaboration happening. So I think that helps is you're generally having people self-select into a space where they're saying, I, I want that exchange of thought and ideas and opportunities, whatever the case may be. We work really hard to encourage collaboration, right? So our networking events that we do throughout the year are free to our community members. They're generally virtual, although this year we are doing in-person as well. But we always have something that these breakout rooms that are about collaboration, about connection Mm. building, and they, you know, people love that. So they come in, we give them their announcements. Like we have some kind of agenda happening. Like this is happening and that's what happened. They, they get to meet us and we have conversation, but we always have space built in for these breakout sessions where we mix people together when we put like your five, these five people and those five people and those five people. And we give them usually guided questions that are designed to help them build those collaboration and opportunities and learn about what's out um, in the space. Lots of companies and stuff come to us all of the time saying we have this going on and we have that going on. And and we, if we feel like it's a good fit for our community, we are happy to share that with them and encourage that type of collaboration and say, you know, go go out and, and reach out for these people, reach out to these people and and take advantage of this opportunity. Um, so on the community side, that's how we do it. I think it, it helps a lot though that, that folks come into the space already expecting that. Do you get many advertisers that reach out to you as well just to kind of ask about how they can also reach more diverse audiences with podcasting? We've talked to a lot of advertisers. <laughs> Yeah. So the short answer is yes. We have a lot of advertisers that reach out to us. Advertisers are a challenge in that maybe half the time they come to us not actually wanting to have any type of real relationship with the creators. Mm -hmm. They just want us to sell something for them. And we don't do that. So anybody listen to this, you are on notice. If you're just reaching out to us because you want to sell something and you're not interested in an actual relationship that's beneficial to both sides, we're not having that conversation with you, right? For the ones that do do it successfully and, and they do do it correct and they actually want to build that relationship, what does that look like? It's very dependent on the company. 
And what are their goals? Do they align with our goals? Alignment is very important to us. We don't work with companies that don't have alignment. We will really work with any company that we feel we have an alignment with, that we feel is sincere and wanting to you know, develop the industry in a way that is, again, inclusive of the real world. Um, we will design that around each other. It's, it's very customized. So it, it could be, you know, a, a series of, of webinars or education that we bring into the community for the creators and allow access that way and, and help that company build a relationship with the creators through education. It could be networking. It could be through sponsorship. So sponsorship, if a company chooses to sponsor, what they are doing is they are allowing us to create an entire slate of education and networking opportunities. And they have direct access to the community through any of those events, right? So there's a, a variety of ways that we can do that. It really just depends on the situation. We try to be very open to collaboration. We're very open to ideas. So if a company comes to us with a specific idea, we're happy to hear it out and see if we can make that work. You mentioned earlier about getting a top 10 chart podcast, which obviously is buzzwordy and doesn't really mean anything. But what do you think of the way that podcasts are categorized or charted like on Apple Podcasts or whatever in terms of representation for BIPOC creators? Yeah, I think across the board, whether we're talking about Apple or we're talking about Spotify, any of the big companies, there's a lot more that can be done. I mean, what's challenging is that those are selected by an actual person, which is what you want, right? You want a human that's yeah. listening to shows and saying, God, this is great content. <laughs> like, yeah. That's what you want. Ideally. But... Each person has very individual tastes, mm -hmm. right? And then each person has their own individual conscious or unconscious biases. Mm. The onus is on the company to create a team that is very, very diverse and has an inclusivity mindset. That's what's hard about it. And until companies value that beyond numbers, right, beyond the bottom line, we are going to continue to have this situation where you only learn about Black podcast creators during Black History Month. And women podcasters are mostly only elevated during Women's History Month. Yeah. and South Asian Heritage Month and Indigenous Heritage. Like, that's going to continue to happen. Mm. I think there's no great solve for that. One thing we were trying to create relationships with these companies around those teams specifically to be able to say, hey, look at these shows. Mm -hmm. It's not easy <laughs> to do, right? And what's challenging about that is, is those folks have to try to be impartial, we try to just let them know like, hey, we're here. Mm -hmm. We realize that you can't like sit down and have coffee with us to talk about any particular shows. We respect that boundary. That boundary should exist. But we try to make as many inroads as we can to say, don't forget about these folks that are also creating podcasts outside of Black History Month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're creating them all year round. Right? Yeah. I think it's getting better. 
I do think in particular, Apple has gotten better at it. Okay. Doesn't mean that there isn't more space to go. There mm-hmm. definitely is. But it, it's tough. It's tough. And like, you know, the, those really big podcasts, you know, the Joe Rogans and the My Favorite Murder, they tend to eat up all the oxygen in the space <laughs> because they're so large and there's there's such like unicorn type shows yeah, that they get all the attention, which I understand, but it's unfortunate because there's so many great creators out there that don't get the shine that they deserve because they simply don't have the reach and people in those companies don't really realize they exist. And I think there's also on the company side, a lack of, is it respect? Yeah, I think it's respect. I think there's a lack of respect for the indie creator that has a really engaged niche audience. So like most podcasts are never going to be able to pull down the numbers that Joe Rogan does. They're just never going to be able to do it. But they have these smaller audiences that show up week after week, year after year, and are using that app to listen. And they just don't get the same level of respect. And I think that's unfortunate. What role do you think data can play in this and can play in increasing diversity in podcasting? I wrote a feature about how the podcast industry can reach Black podcast listeners, and it was based on like an Edison research And I was trying to compare the data with the UK and the UK data on podcast hosts. The demographics was basically non-existent. And even in the US, there wasn't that much research anyway. So how important do you think data is? I think it's super important. Super important. So here's the thing across the board. We don't have great data on creators themselves. There's lots of data on listeners, like what are the demographics? How old are they? Where do they live? How long do they listen for? And that data is really helpful because it has shown us one thing if we're talking about diversity and inclusion in the space. It has shown year over year growth in listeners of color across the board. Now, why is that? It's because creators of color are creating more and more. The industry still has this like gap of understanding that when black and brown and women come into the space and start creating content, they open up entirely new audiences to the industry. And that's why the future of podcasting is multicultural. That's why. Because more and more creators who also happen to be of color, of many different ethnicities, across the globe are still discovering podcasting. They're still discovering that they can create podcasts themselves. And it's still like, look at what's happening in, let's just take the Middle East. Let's let's look at Saudi Arabia. Last year, Saudi Arabia had its first ever audio conference. We were there. It was in October. And I think at the time they were saying that it's tiny in Saudi Arabia, the, the podcast creator space, tiny. It, it's like less than a thousand creators creating podcasts. But that conference was packed, packed, sold out. There were so many people that they were trying to get tickets from, like they were trying to be like, <laughs> how can I get into this conference, <laughs> right? People were outside trying to get in, trying to, you know, find tickets. What does that tell you? That tells you that podcasting is going to explode. And with them, 
is going to come entirely new audiences that have never listened to podcasting before or have only been vaguely aware of podcasting. You know where that's not happening? Where? More white guys. (laughs) (laughs) They're not the ones that are bringing in new audiences. Yeah. It's women and it's people of color across the globe. So if we had better data around the creators themselves, I think it would be very in the face of these companies to finally help them make that connection and start to value those audiences in a way that they never have before. That's a really interesting perspective. You're based in the US. Do you see these networking groups similar to the one that you've created? Do you see them kind of popping up in other countries or do you feel like actually everyone is still kind of behind what you're doing? There's groups popping up all over the place in other countries and as they should be. We do have global creators, you know, so we're now we're starting to grow more folks outside of the country, but we're still mostly North America. Mm. So our folks have that Western lens and it's just going to be different in another country. And so they're going to need a different set of supports and they should have those things. So I love to see other groups popping up around the globe and we're happy to collaborate with them if we can. The industry as a whole is better when we come together and find ways to work together and support these creators and bring more um, diverse creators into the space. So, so yes, I mean, podcast is growing globally all over the place. It's going to continue to grow. People just need to look at what's happening in Africa with podcasting. It's really starting to pop over there. There's lots of opportunity to create spaces. It's definitely happening. Like I think of Molly with Afropods. She's out of Kenya. She's really got her finger on the pulse of what's happening across the continent of Africa and building community there and seeing great success. And and those creators are doing incredible content. It's happening all over the globe. And again, I'll just say, this is why the future of podcasting is multicultural. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think allies can do to kind of help amplify the voices of creators of color? So one thing that I've been thinking about a lot in thinking about the data side is we need to push for better data. We need to understand more about where it's popping off in podcasting. And I say with confidence, I know that it's within communities of color, within countries that are going to be mostly not white European That's one thing is we need to be pushing for better data. It's something that we're trying to push for, but gathering that data is expensive and it's not easy to do it well. You know, it it takes a a really skilled team to be able to do that. And I think that they're, they're interested. I think the Edisons of the world are interested. The question is, how do we fund it? Right? So we need companies to come to the table and be like, yeah, we value this data. So here's some money to go gather the data. (laughs) So that's one thing is push for that, that to happen. And I think be listening to creators of color across the space. 
listen to something that's different than who Mm -hmm. you are, right? Go out Mm -hmm. there and see what's available. You know, we try with with our our community, we elevate creators every month. So if you run a community, if you run a company, there's an opportunity within your content and within your platform to elevate those creators every single month, not just whatever the ethnic holiday (laughs) has to be. So move beyond the ethnic holidays. And when you're, when it's just like a random Tuesday, and you have, I don't know, a blog post or a list or something coming out where you're talking about podcasts from doctors, I don't know, whatever the thing is, maybe <laughs> yeah. go out and find some doctors that aren't all the same. Yeah, Find some doctors in some other countries that are making podcasts, because I guarantee you they, they are. Mm. It's really not that hard to break out of the box. The problem is that it requires some thought and some work, and just some people are never going to do that. They're not going to do anything extra, right? So I don't know how to solve for that, but I I just keep telling people to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the other really important thing is support the communities that you know are doing the work. So there's BIPOC podcast creators, there's Black Pod Collective, there's Afros and Audio, there's Women of Color podcasters, there's groups like this all over the place. And maybe you're in a position that you can sponsor them or you can collaborate with them on an event that's going to support their programming, consult with us. We're all consultants. All of us are professionals in the space that would be happy to consult with you on a variety of things. (laughs) Consult with us. (laughs) It's not that difficult, but you can find a way to be supportive and help the industry grow overall by doing just some very simple things. I know you said earlier that the Facebook is a space that you use a lot, but some networks kind of moved away from Facebook or wasn't so accessible. So obviously that is where your community has grown. So can you tell us about the pros and cons of using Facebook as this networking platform and how it's changed over the past year? Yeah, there's no perfect platform to build a community on. There just isn't. We chose Facebook because that's where the majority of folks already were. And so if you're going to go off Facebook, you have to answer the question is, how are you going to get people to convert to using another app? And we just didn't want to take that problem on, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially because when we first started it, we weren't starting a business. We were just starting a group. (laughs) So we chose the easiest path (laughs) at that time. That's a pro about Facebook is everybody knows Facebook. If you have a smartphone, you have access to Facebook very easily. It doesn't cost users anything to use it. And people are very familiar with how it works. Those are the pros. Everything else about it is really tough. And we talk all of the time about what it would look like to move the group off of Facebook Mm -hmm. because it's like you're battling the algorithm on Facebook, even when it's your group, like we, we are the creators of the group and, and it's a business. So we use their business tools because Facebook is always trying to force you to use their business tools or whatever. So we use them and still it's difficult to get true reach in Facebook because Facebook wants you to spend money pretty much every time you post something in order to reach your audience, your right. own <laughs> your own group that you created, created. and manage yeah. every day, right? Um, Facebook it just puts some barriers in front of you that makes it difficult 
And honestly, on, on the business side, like when you're trying to moderate the group, we find the back end of Facebook to be quite clunky. It's not super intuitive. It's buggy. Like, you know, you'll set up things that are supposed to help you automate and then they don't work half of the time. And so there's that. I think the other thing, the bigger issue with Facebook is, well, there's two. One issue is the age demographic. So it's skewed older now, Mm -hmm. which isn't necessarily a problem. But as you are thinking about the future of podcasting and you want to be able to bring in a younger audience so that they have an opportunity to grow into the space, they're just not using Facebook. Yeah, there's not they're not and they're not going to. And there's nothing we can do about that. We can't make them use it. They're not interested. Right. So there's that. And then there's just I don't even know what I would call the culture of Facebook, I guess, can be quite toxic and can be quite ugly. And there's so much noise on the platform itself as a group creator. And if you're trying to use it to, you know, house your community, it's difficult to break through all of that other stuff because that feed is constant and it's tough and people get very fatigued. And so they leave Facebook. And now we're seeing there's a lot of people that are not on Facebook at all. So we have Mm -hmm. to find another way to try to create community with them when they're not using it. So I think there are more challenges with finding the right platform than there are (laughs) not. It's just, and it's something that, you know, that's not unique to us. We've, we've talked to other, other communities and they're, they're like, yeah, same. (laughs) Same. We haven't found a great solution I guess you just need to pick your battles, right? Like you're doing so much in one space that you can only do so much. You can't solve every problem with networking. Right, exactly. (laughs) So, you know, we do the best that we can. We're definitely open to moving it off Facebook at some point. We've considered LinkedIn, but you have similar challenges with the majority of people are not using LinkedIn and the age demographics and LinkedIn are pretty similar to Facebook Mm -hmm. and and then there's Instagram, but Facebook owns Instagram. So you have <laughs> it's just not a great it's a solution. Yeah. yeah. Reem? You've said that you think the future of podcasting is multicultural. And I really hope that the podcasting future is multicultural. How would you compare diversity in podcasting at the moment to other industries? Because it's still a very young industry and it's still growing and developing. How would you compare it to other industries? I don't know that there's there's truly an apples to apples comparison because while podcasting is a creative industry and while it is media, the dynamics are different, right? I, I think I think it, it's probably it probably is a, a more diverse than other creative industries or like media industries because it is more accessible to get started as an independent creator, I think, than many other industries. But if we look at the top of podcasting, right? So the big companies, there's no diversity up there. There's very, very little, Mm -hmm. very, very little. And so if you look at it at the top, then I think it's, probably pretty close to most other industries. It's probably Mm. the same. Just go to any one company's website and look at their leadership and it'll tell you something. It's the same. And that needs to change. Do you see a sort of 
gendered split in podcasting because when I was looking I think it must have been around International Women's Day and we were having this conversation then about how frustrating it is that suddenly there's this deluge of female-led podcasts being advertised but if you actually go to the charts the majority are men or a man and a woman very few which is purely female-led from your perspective are you seeing the same sort of trends oh yeah I mean I think for talking about you know diversity there's definitely more gender diversity in the space, I think, than others. Mm-hmm. And even even in the leadership, you'll see more women at the top of those companies than in, in other industries. Um, but there's still, there's, there's not that ethnic, racial, or any other kind of diversity happening at the top. On the creator side, I... It seems that it's pretty split. I mean, I would have to go back and look at the demographics again, the most recent demographics, but I think it's pretty split. Um, Men identifying, women identifying folks. Um, But again, that doesn't necessarily translate to the top. It just doesn't. (laughs) I know, we're all quite aware of that, I think, here as, as well, massively. Because we talk about podcasting as a creative industry, as a creative media, but obviously so much of it is about business and share and reach and development, all this kind of stuff. So in terms of how aware are podcasters of the kind of the business side of their industry and how do you help them fill that gap? How much of what you do is part of the business side rather than the creative side? Yeah, I think we've reached a stage in podcasting where most creators who, again, it's folks that are beyond the 101, right, have, they realize that they have to figure out the business side. Mm. And that's one of the main reasons why they want to be part of the community. Um, And we always are very clear with folks, we don't do 101 content. So we don't do the, you know, this is how you get your first thousand downloads or like, this is how you create cover art or this is how you start a podcast. We don't do that. There are plenty of other resources for that out there. Free resources, right? Go take advantage of those. Mm -hmm. We create content and we are creating community for those people that are in the middle. They have already have some production under their belt of some kind. They've produced their own podcast for a little while, they've been in the industry somewhere for a little while, and they realize that they're going to need some support to get to the next level. So we're, we're those folks right in the middle. Mm-hmm. And understanding the business side of that is really important. So a good portion of the, the webinars or trainings that we do are focused on the business side. So when we're in our masterclass right now, yes, we're t- the the topic is audience growth, but those the learning is actually like this is this is the business of podcasting, right? So you know we had an instructor come in. His name is Anthony Frazier, and he started and runs a network called ABF Creative, and they have an entire slate of shows that are mostly fiction, but not all fiction podcasts for kids. Mm. Now that's tough. That's a tough niche. <laughs> Right. But he has successfully created and grown and, and is running this business. So while he was talking about audience growth, there was a great deal of conversation of like, this is what it actually looks like to create a show in order to be able to sell it. Mm. 
And these are, these are the tools and these are the steps. Mm. So our content is mostly going to look at those kinds of things. So mm. we're not talking about audience growth for the sake of downloads, although that's what happens when your audience grows. You get more downloads, right? But again, we're, it's very beyond that. It's like, this is, this is how you use marketing in order to grow a show so that you can get to that next step. We don't talk about downloads very much because <laughs> it's, it's mostly irrelevant, <laughs> especially as a, an indie podcaster, until you get to a particular stage. Mm-hmm. So we don't spend much time there. We're really talking about the behind the scenes. Like this is the reality of what running a business is. And you need to, you need to think about if you're here at this stage, then you need to think about your, your podcast as a business or as a arm of an already existing business that you're leveraging in order to grow another business, right? That's, so that's how we talk about it. We wanted to ask, because we've been talking about a lot about what we can do in the future, what we can do to help build this community. But what are some of the success stories that have already worked that you have helped to launch or develop or ones that you're really proud of? The one that I'm thinking about right off the top of my head is somebody that actually whose career is really flourishing. And I know this because this person, he sent us an email, like I think a few weeks ago that said, hey, this is what's happening because of of, of being part of your group. And he took advantage of a webinar we did on how to speak on stages as a podcaster and how that can really benefit you. And fast forward to recently, he sends us a picture of him producing a podcast inside the White House. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And he was like, this is all because I took advantage of the opportunities that you all created. Um, So there's, there's lots of stories like that that I think make us the most proud. Yeah. I mean, of course, it, you know, it's great. Like everybody loves to hear that. Like, yeah, we worked with Podcast Movement. Now they have more diverse speakers, right? That's a, a certainly a success story and that's great. But I think the things that I love are, are stories like that where we get just an email one day mm-hmm. with a picture that's like, hey, this is what happened. <laughs> yeah. That's so lovely. Yeah. Amazing. Tanji, have you got anything else you want to mention that you haven't had a chance to talk about yet? You know, we have some in-person events coming up. So if you're in Phoenix this fall, we have something going on there. And we have, if you're going to be at Podcast Movement Denver, I'm based out of Denver. So we'll definitely be here. We're having a couple of events. Um, we're doing some networking and some other stuff. So be sure and attend that. Our, our events, by the way, are open to everybody. You don't have to be a person of color. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're going to come, don't be a jerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's a good rule of thumb for most things in that's, life. That's too. <laughs> like anybody can come as long as you're not a jerk. <laughs> well, if you're ever over in the UK and you're doing any events in London, do let us know because we would love to come along. Definitely. We would love to. And everybody is welcome to join the newsletter um, if, if you want to. We send it once a month. So it's, it's not like a weekly newsletter. How do you join the newsletter? So just go to BIPOCpodcastcreators.com. And right there on the homepage, if you scroll down a little bit, there's like a join our newsletter. <laughs> you can join Amazing. the newsletter. You made it so easy. <laughs> Tanji, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> 
That was Tangia Alawaji Estrada talking all about diversity in podcasting and such an in-depth conversation about the spaces in podcasting, which something I'd never really considered before. Reem, what were the kind of big things? I know you were really excited about this interview. So what were the kind of big things that you left thinking about? I mean, I think like the one thing that really amazed me is the fact that when she first started the group as like a Facebook page, she didn't expect to have so many people at once come and uh, like the group and be part of it. And I think she mentioned something like she had 100 or 200 people within the first like days or weeks of starting the group and like just an overwhelming number of people coming and asking for networking events and asking for mentorship. And that just shows how much like this is an area in the podcasting industry that's that's needed to be filled like this is the like people are looking for that community and they're looking for that support and and the fact Mm -hmm. that like it just took like one community and they've already had that many people coming in for to it just shows how much Yeah, it was really, really needed. So I just thought that was really, really amazing. It is really interesting to think about the different ways in which podcasting needs to be more inclusive or open or shift. Because even talking about the platform that this is on, she was talking about Facebook and, you know, how that is just sort of like the base place where it's been the easiest meeting ground, I suppose, but how that's sort of alienating for young people. And there's just no easy answer. There's no easy way of just connecting everybody all at once in one place. And it feels like there should be, it feels like there should be a really obvious one. And it's so frustrating that there isn't. Um, Adam, what about you? What did you kind of take away from the interview? One of the points that I was particularly interested in is she mentioned the the need for more data around around podcast trends and podcasts. She mentioned particularly the kind of the need for companies, you know, like Edison and other sort of research focused organizations looking at podcasting to really invest in better better data to serve these these communities and to identify the the kind of gaps where they're where they're not being served. And I know that's something that that Reem you've uh, talked about and written about before. And it's something I think that could make a, a real big difference. You know, there's been moves in the right direction, but I think yeah, it's it's something that could get a lot better. Obviously, we're talking predominantly about the US in this interview, but Reem, I know that you've kind of noticed the way that we have certain spaces for podcasting here through your recent encounter with the Publisher Podcast Awards. So I think here in the UK, it's all about trying to start a conversation and how do we learn and how do we incorporate it in the industry? Like what kind of steps do we take forward? And one thing that the Publishing Podcast Awards did was that before the ceremony started, they had like a discussion forum and they split people into two groups and they just kind of shared ideas or their thoughts on things like growth and revenue and how do we support each other on this or how, what kind of things do we see in the future in this area and, and whatever. And I just think that's like, if say we had a session like that, that's dedicated to speaking about how do we make the industry more inclusive? How do we make the industry more diverse and we had people that were coming from say podcast production companies that are black owned um, 
or some that is like people like Tanjia from BIPOC podcast creators coming and, and speaking about these things and sharing ideas. I think that's just a, it's a really interesting way that we can open up the conversation and just help support people in becoming more inclusive throughout their strategy all year round rather than just, you know, waiting for an opportunity to become diverse, like one, on a one-off occasion and that's it. And hopefully like this episode as well is like part of opening up that conversation more. I really hope so. If you're listening to this and you found anything particularly interesting, please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on social at PodPod Official and also sign up to our daily email bulletins. We do keep talking about these bits that Reem has written and that's a really good way of finding them. Go on PodPod.com as well. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Adam and Reem and congratulations once again. Thank you to Emma Corsham who produced this for Haymarket Business Media and of course a massive Thank you to Tangia Alawaji Estrada for talking all about BIPOC podcast creators. Do check that out if you get a chance. I've been your host, Rihanna Dillon, and we'll be back next week. Cheers. Bye.